We've been talking about Jacob from the Old Testament of the Bible, and he is, in my view at least, the world's greatest wrestler. But before we get back to Jacob's story, which we'll pick up where we left off last week, uh, I want to ask you this question. Have you ever had a moment where it felt like literally you were wrestling with God? Ever had one of those moments where it just felt like you were on the mat, you and God, and you were all locked up with him? And maybe for you, it was a night that you couldn't sleep and you were counted back and you hadn't eaten any bad pizza, you hadn't had too much caffeine and you weren't just too pumped up to sleep. That night was quite a bit different, right? It may have been during one of those seasons or times in your life when you faced a situation or a struggle that was so difficult or so upsetting or so ominous, so crushing that you could feel it, like viscerally feel it right at the core of your being all of the agony and all of the ambiguity and all of the doubt and it was as if you were literally physically wrestling with God and if we're honest we'd say we've all been there haven't we we've all been there at some point or another in our lives maybe some of us are living in that space today we felt cut to the core as if life had, all of life had shrunk down to this one moment, this one situation, this one struggle, and it was everything that you could see, right? It's just like, it, it's just right there. It felt just like you were out in the middle of the wrestling mat, you and God, and you're just having it out. All of us have been there. Maybe it was the time the phone rang and the voice on the other end of the line told you that the prognosis is not good. Or maybe for you, the phone rang and the voice on the other end of the line said, you know, I, I just don't love you anymore. We're done. Or maybe the phone rang and the voice on the other end of the line said, you know, the economy is, mass sales are down and so we got to shed some personnel and, well, you're one of those. Maybe the voice on the other end of the line said, he's gone. She's gone. Passed away from this life to the next life. We've all gotten those phone calls and bam, life, all of it just becomes this giant wrestling match. You and God. You know the feeling. And I got to tell you that the world's greatest wrestler, Jacob, he knew that feeling really, really well. We talked last week about how most all of Jacob's early years were just filled. One wrestling match after another, all with some of the closest people in his life, starting all the way back before he was born when he, remember, wrestled with his twin brother Esau in utero, vying for position. Who's going to be firstborn? They're wrestling even before they were born. And as we pick up the story of Jacob, we understand that Jacob hadn't seen his twin brother Esau in a very long time. And as a result, he's as nervous as a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs about their reunion. Remember, it was way back when Jacob manipulated his brother out of his birthright for a lousy bowl of stew, and then a little later he stole the blessing that was meant for Esau from their father Isaac. And, you know, just as kind of a little aside, for us these days hearing about birthrights and so, that doesn't mean anything to us, right? But in Jacob and Esau's days, it, it was everything. It was a huge deal in their day. The possessor of the birthright was in line to receive two times as much of the family inheritance as was any other child in the family. And so in Jacob and Esau's 
family, there's two brothers. That meant Esau was in line to inherit two-thirds of the estate, which would have left how much for Jacob? One-third, a little slow on the math today. One-third, that's right. But Jacob didn't want one-third, did he? He wouldn't be satisfied with just one-third. He's a schemer, and so he manipulates his way to the two-thirds. He wants it. And not only did he manipulate his brother out of the birthright, he lied to his father to get the sort of family blessing. Then, later, he tricked his father-in-law out of the very best of his father-in-law's wealth. You should go read that story sometime. And so you see, Jacob's at this place in his life where he's wrestled with just about everyone there is to wrestle with. And then all of a sudden, God sort of taps him on the shoulder and tells him it's time to go back home, go back to the family home. And that really means for Jacob, he's got to face the music of all the messes he's made with all of the wrestling, all of the scheming, and all of the manipulation. He's just got to kind of step right back into every bit of it. And if you remember the story, the last thing Jacob knows is that his twin brother Esau is so mad at him because of everything he's done to him, all the manipulation, the deception, the cunning, that Esau's actually planning to kill Jacob. And so Jacob doesn't know what's Esau up to. What are his intentions these days? I know it's been 20 years, but what's going on? And so this point in the story, Jacob has actually arrived at the banks of the Jabbok River. He's on his way home, and he's come up to the shores of the Jabbok River. And crossing that river, understand, means that he's actually crossing over into Esau's territory. The land that his twin brother Esau, who who was really, really mad, so mad he was going to try to kill him. That's his land over there. And so Jacob, you know, he's a schemer, right? And so his wheels set into motion, and he's not a dummy, and he knows how the world works. And so he says, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to butter up my brother. I'm going to give him so many gifts that he won't be able to be mad at me anymore. He won't want to kill me anymore. And he didn't just get him a little subscription to the Jelly of the Month Club or something stupid like that. He got him some really, really nice gifts. A couple hundred goats, a couple hundred sheep, 30 camels, plus they're young 50 cows, 30 donkeys, and, you know, we hear that, we're like, good heavens, if somebody gave me that, I wouldn't have any, like an instant farm, and there's no room in our backyard or our house for that. But for Esau, the immense value of those gifts, it would have been really, really impressive. So impressive that I think about, I set myself in Esau's shoes, and I go like, man, if I was so mad I was going to kill my brother 20 years before, and he all of a sudden, 20 years later, piles on all these gifts, I'm not very mad anymore right? Oh, this is cool. Just got a whole lot more rich. Thanks, brother. And so Jacob, he's making these preparations, and and he knows exactly what he's doing. The scripture paints it out for us. Jacob thought, I will try to appease him. He's appeasing him. I'll send all these gifts ahead of me, and when I see him in person, perhaps then Esau will be friendly to me. Sort of buy him off. Calm down. It was a long time ago. So just try for a moment, if you would, to set yourself in Jacob's shoes. Like, get there. And we imagine that as Jacob laid his head down on that mohair pillow that night, all Jacob knows from the day before his report is that Esau is on his way to meet him, and he's got 400 men coming with him. And Jacob does a little quick math, and he figures out that the welcome wagon doesn't take 400 guys to do its thing. You know, this is an army who's coming And you just cannot underestimate what that moment would have been like for Jacob. All of his very worst fears, they're coming right to bear. 
every single thing in his life has really shrunk down to this one moment. Jacob's everything is at stake. He's just out there. He has nowhere to go, no one to turn to, no one to trust. And it, it's wrestling that time, like literally. We pick up the story in Genesis 32, starting in verse 22. Check this out. During the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives. Two wives. I can barely handle one. Not to mention his two servant wives, his 11 sons, and crossed the Jabbok River with them. After taking them to the other side, he sent over all his possessions, and this left Jacob all alone in the camp. Now, th- this is a freebie, no charge for this one, but th- this is really a remarkable act of cowardice on Jacob's. Do you understand what's going on here? So during the middle of the night, Jacob gets up. He takes his two wives, his two servant wives, his 11 sons, crosses the river with them, takes them over there, takes them to the other side. Then he sent over all his possessions. He calls back, okay, servants, bring over all the stuff. And remember, he had a lot of stuff. And what the text doesn't say, it sort of be inserted parenthetically right here, is that then Jacob left the women, the children, and all the possessions over where? Whose land is that over there? It's Esau's land. And so it's like, let's send the women and children on ahead and let's see how mad Esau really is at me. Because he comes back to the non-Esau side and he's going to hang out there and they're all defenseless over there. Very, I mean, cowardly move. And this is Jacob, right? Always scheming, always manipulating. And this act of cowardice left Jacob all alone in the camp. And a man, this is God, by the way, came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. Oh, my gosh. When the man saw that he would not win the match, that's remarkable, by the way. There's like 17 sermons in that little bit right there. He touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. Then the man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. That's God saying, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. Well, your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name? The man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. And Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. And the sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel, and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. Even today, the people of Israel don't eat the tendon near the hip, hip socket, because of what happened that night when the man strained the tendon of Jacob's hip. Can you even imagine? Can you even imagine. Here's Jacob. He's all alone. We imagine that he's feeling the most intense fright of his entire life. He's not knowing whether his brother is going to spare him or kill him as he's on his way with these 400 men. And in the middle of the night, God shows up, watch this, and starts a literal wrestling match with him on the banks of the river. And did you notice what I said there? God showed up and started a wrestling match with Jacob. Now, doesn't that defy the image of, that many people have of God? 
God showing up and starting a wrestling match. Jacob's all alone, remember? He's scared to death. He has nowhere to go. He's at the end of his rope. He's at the bottom of the barrel. And in that setting, right, with everything that's swirling in Jacob's life, isn't it this kind of moment when we'd really like to think that God would show up as like, well, I don't know, like the good shepherd God, right? Psalm 23, God, you know the text, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest where? In green meadows. It's lush and it's nice there. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Ah, that's the God who many, many people would expect to show up in the midst of Jacob's very dark night of the soul alongside the river. God's all gentle, and he's all tender, and he's all soft, and he's all idyllic. But that isn't what happened. God shows up and he throws Jacob, no mat, down on the dirt. I've been at the Tom LaProuse wrestling tournament over at Bozeman High this weekend. I was there all day Friday and some of yesterday watched some fantastic wrestling. Wow. Bozeman High took second. Great job, guys. Belgrade took seventh. Great job, guys. And uh, one of my favorite things watching all those matches over the last couple of days is the first move that wrestlers make in any match, right? The ref blows the whistle and the match starts and there's sort of this hand fighting thing, I call it, that goes on. Guys are maneuvering for position, trying to figure out who's going to, you know, getting best vantage point for a shot, And then somewhere in the midst of all this sort of hand fighting thing, one of the guys will finally sort of engage and will shoot in on the other guy in an attempt to take him down and score the first two points of the match. You get two points for a takedown. And for me, that's when wrestling really gets exciting. When one of the guys finally pushes through the hand fighting thing, shoots in, tries to grab a leg or something and take him down. That's wrestling. It's when they're really wrestling. Nobody wants to just watch a couple of guys dance around and hit each other on the head. That's no fun. And so I was watching the guys wrestle this weekend and I was considering in light of what I was watching what kind of shot it might have been that God took on Jacob that night alongside the river. And we sort of picture the scene, right? Jacob's probably laying in his tent. He's laying on his bedroll and right, did God just sort of show up and jump on top of Jacob? Right? And Jacob, he's trying really hard, you imagine, to fall asleep, right? He's trying really hard to forget all the very dark, negative thoughts that he's thinking could unfold in his life and his family's life the very next day. And then all of a sudden, wham, out of nowhere. Maybe did God walk in sort of the flap of the tent and go, let's wrestle. And it doesn't, the text doesn't tell us, it doesn't seem like there was a ref there. I just sort of police the thing and God is perfect. He probably wouldn't cheat, but Jacob, you never know. He's a schemer, manipulating. I have all kinds of questions about this wrestling match. You 
probably do too. One of the most fascinating things to me is this piece of the narrative that unfolds like this. When the man, that's God, saw that he would not win the match, Jacob's winning, right? What did he do? He touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. He touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of his socket. I did a little research into what's exactly going on there. And when you look at the original phrasing, the original language, Hebrew, the part of the body that God actually wrenches is not the hip. The Hebrew there actually refers to a particularly sensitive area of the male anatomy. Yeah, that one. And so you suffice it to say that that wrenching would have been really painful. Like really, really quite in Jacob's face. And at the same time, really, really humbling. I see a lot of guys wincing right now. Really, really humbling. I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life, a whole bunch of them, when I've started my prayers by saying, all right, God, you have my full and undivided attention. Ever been in one of those spots? Where you just start your prayer, like, I have a whole bunch of things I like to say, I could say, God, but it seems like in this circumstance, I just need to shut up and listen. I am all ears. Here I am, God. You just say whatever you need to say to me. And that, I think, is the exact place where Jacob would have been in the midst of that wrenching incident. All right, God, here I am, and you have my absolute and undivided attention. Here I am. And we read that and we hear that and we go, why? Why in the world in the first place does God show up and challenge Jacob to a wrestling match? It really seems more like Jacob needed the good shepherd God, not throw down on the mat God. And then why this wrenching thing? And the easy and not so easy answer is it's because of who Jacob is. It's because of everything that Jacob's been about for his entire life. And you see, good shepherd God is not going to get Jacob's attention. Jacob doesn't need cuddle me now, God. He needs in your face, God. It's the kind of guy he is. He's a rough and tumble kind of guy, a lot like a lot of us. Jacob is a scrapper. Jacob is the guy, remember, who wrestled his way through almost everything in his life, scheming, conniving, manipulating. And God's going to get Jacob's attention once and for all. God's going to help Jacob once and for all realize, look, bud, you're at the bottom of the barrel. You're down. You're almost out. You are flat on your back, about to be pinned. And God's going to help Jacob once and for all put an end to all of his scheming, all of his cunning, all of his manipulation and it takes quite a wrestling match to get through to brother Jacob you know in wrestling like we were watching this weekend at the high school a match is six minutes now that doesn't sound like all that long but it's the toughest six minutes in sports 
If you don't believe me, just go try it sometime. Find a friend who weighs about the same as you and then just wrestle as hard as you can for six straight minutes. And like after 35 seconds, you will be gassed out, gasping for breath. I mean, it is brutal. Matches like we watch at the high school, they even go a couple more minutes if they're tied at the end of six. They have to go into overtime. We had some of those this weekend. But Jacob and God didn't wrestle for six minutes. They didn't even wrestle for eight minutes. They went hard all night, hours and hours and hours. It took some match to get Jacob's full, undivided attention. And you just sort of envision it, don't you? God and Jacob pounding and punishing each other, rolling in the dirt and the dust, grappling, sprawling, shooting, near falling, all of it. They go and go and go. And the sun's about to come up, night's wrapping up, and God's going like, all right, Jacob, have you had enough yet, bud? And truth be told, Jacob had indeed had enough. He couldn't actually wrestle anymore. He's worn ragged, but he wasn't going to let go of God either. And so you picture the scene. Jacob is all literally like tied up in a knot with God clenching him with everything that he has in him, squeezing. And God's going like, Hey, bud, it's time for you to let me go. Sun's coming up. I got a few other things I got to go see about today. And Jacob, he refuses, stubbornly clinging to God. Not unless you what? You bless me. Not unless you bless me. And we go, well, of course. That's what Jacob really wants. He wants another blessing, right? He's collecting blessings, like some people collect stamps or golf balls or Hummel figurines. If you don't know what a Hummel figurine is, just ask somebody who's like 65 or so. They'll know. Jacob, he's collecting blessings and he has them all matted and framed and he hangs them around his tent, you know, and he's really wanted the God blessing. He'd hang it right above his bed, you know, there it is right there. Wouldn't that be something? But also understand there's a lot more to Jacob's ask than just meets the eye. Because you see, what's all loaded up in those words uttered by Jacob, I will not let you go until you bless me, is this remarkable confession. It's a confession. And it's a confession, watch this, that Jacob is throwing in the towel on everything he's been for his entire life. He's throwing in the towel. All the schemes, all the plans, all the climbing and clawing and scratching, he's saying, I am all done with that. And it, it's a prayer there. Right? Anytime anybody talks to God, it's, it, it's a prayer. That's what prayer is. It's just talking to God. And it doesn't have to have all frilly, frivolous language and sound all ornate. And so it's just, it's just talking to God. And that's exactly what he's in a conversation with God And that's his prayer. Right in the midst of the most famous wrestling match of all time, Jacob's confessing. And he's saying, God, I'm sticking with you. God, I'm not letting go of you. No matter how long it takes, no matter where your road leads, I'm sticking with you, God, until you show up, until you do your thing, I'm with you. And that's a remarkable turnaround for Jacob. It is remarkable. He's defeated, 
He's exhausted. He's on the run for most of his life. He's been resisting God, yet at the same time been subtly relying on him. And he confesses. He gives up. He gives in. And he realizes, I cannot survive life anymore without a vice-like grip on God. No more. God, you have me now. God, I'm with you now. God, I'm not going anywhere except where you go and where you lead. I have to have you. And Jacob didn't just walk away from that wrestling match unscathed, did he? And sometimes we don't either. Because you see, when we wrestle with God, stuff changes in us. Stuff shifts in us. Up to this point in the story, at least what we understand is that Jacob was walking just fine, walking tall. And then God shows up and wrestles him and goes away from that match, the text tells us, limping. And that might be your experience, right? Sometimes wrestling with God wounds us, and sometimes we live with those wounds. Yet even in the midst, hear this, of the wounds, there's also blessing. Even in the midst of the wounds, there's blessing. And God did indeed bless Jacob. I don't think it was the blessing that Jacob was after. It very seldom is for any of us. God renames Jacob. His name is Israel now. And that word Israel is the unification of two words. One word means persevere. The other word points to God. Which is another remarkable turnaround for Jacob. Because you see, that means that the very man who was once a schemer of all of his own ways is now the one who perseveres until God's ways are revealed. Until God says, this is the way. The very one who was always trying to plan and always trying to make his own way, he's now the one who sticks it out with God through thick and thin. The one who was always scheming a strategy to bless himself is now the one who says, I'm with you, God. Whether you decide to bless me or not, I'm just simply with you. This is an amazing transformation. Here's the thing I love most, I think, about Jacob's transformation. Notice his circumstances didn't at all change. Not even close to changing. Jacob, or now the guy named Israel, he wasn't just jettisoned out of the mess that he was in to some warm beachside resort where Brother Esau could never find him. Instead, Jacob was made into a new man right in the middle of this terrible mess that he made. And lots of us, we just want circumstances to change, right? We don't really care if God does anything in here. We just want, like, the pain and the difficulty and the hardship to go away. And so, God, if you could just, you know, somehow make... More often than not, God wants to change you in the midst of the circumstances. He wants to refine you in the midst of the circumstances. He wants to do something new in you. Not in the circumstances. And as we wrap up today, Jacob normally gets a, a bad rap, right? Guys like me sort of poke at him for all of his scheming, all his deceit, all his cowardice, all his 
wrestling, but at the end of the day, we have to be real honest and say, are we much different? Are we much different? And confession time, me to you, I'm not. I'm not. Jacob's story is more or less my story. Maybe your story. Because you see, we say on one hand that we want God, but do we really want God? Lots and lots of people, we want God when he suits us. And then when he doesn't, we're just like, well, whatever, I'll figure it out. I'll make my own way. I'll go it alone. That's Jacob. We say we want God, and then we hold out, refusing to give our full selves, our full devotion, our full heart to him. And please hear this. God loves you with an unconditional, undying, absolute love. Every single one of us, every single one of us, no matter how bleak your past is, he loves you. And because, as a result of his love, he will occasionally, just like he did with Jacob, he will occasionally draw us into a wrestling match. Not literal. A figurative wrestling match with him such that our only alternative is to yield. Just like Jacob did. Which means, understand this, that very, very briefly... God can and sometimes does occasionally become our adversary because he loves you. Because he loves me. He's for you. He's for me. And Jacob literally, he got to wrestle with God. But that wrestling match is symbolic of the same spiritual struggle that occupies every single one of our lives to this very day, thousands of years later. And those wrestling matches are always around the question of how much of our heart are we going to permit God to have? How much of your heart are you going to permit God to have? And, And I want you to know this, that no matter what you answer today, because of God's undying, unconditional love that he has for you, he's not giving up on you. If you say none today, he's not giving up on you. If you say a little bit today, he's not giving up on you. He's going to be pursuing you. He's going to be loving you. He's going to be drawing you to himself until the answer is all of me, all 100%. Here I am, every bit of me, just like Jacob. How much of your heart are you going to permit God to have? Would you take your stuff and set it aside, and I just invite you to close your eyes and Take that very question to the Lord right now. How much of your heart are you going to let God have? And there may be some who today, you honestly, you you just need to have some mat time, you and God. You just need to wrestle something through with him. Use this time for that. 
or maybe you just need to sit for a moment and interact with God around that question. How much of my heart am I going to permit God to have? Give a percentage to it. Remember, the goal is 100%. But honestly, where are you at with that number today? Or there may be some here, you need to grab your notes page and you need to grab one of those pens from the chair pocket in front of you and you just need to write down some of the struggle, some of the wrestle that's going on in your heart. Whatever it is, Use this time to engage with God however you need to. And then with your heads bowed, still, eyes closed, still, please. There may be some today who God's working on in a little different way. Maybe you're one today whom God is inviting to take the very bold step of saving faith in Jesus Christ. What's true today is that Jesus is inviting you to salvation from your sin. That, by the way, is all of our greatest need. Humanity's greatest need. Salvation from our sin. He's inviting you today to the life that he made you for. From the very beginning. And if God's been working on your heart in that way, you can take the very bold step of trusting him with your whole heart, your whole life, by praying along with me right where you're sitting. And I invite you to pray with me. Jesus, I get it. I get it. I'm a sinner. I'm completely incapable of saving myself. Nothing I do will earn my way to you, God. I just need you. I need Jesus. And so God, with all of the faith I can muster in this moment, I gratefully receive your gift of salvation. I'm trusting you as Lord and Savior of my whole life. And I just thank you, God, 
thank you for sending Jesus to live and show me what it looks like to live life your way. Thank you for Jesus' death on the cross for my sin. Thank you for Jesus rising from the dead. All so that I can have life inside of you. And so today, Jesus, I'm telling you, I'm trusting you with everything. Here I am. And if you're a person who's stepping into faith in Jesus Christ today, that is the biggest decision of your whole life. Nothing matters more. Nothing carries more weight. And it's such a big deal. I'd like to acknowledge that decision with you today. And so I'm going to ask you, if you prayed with me just then, to give your heart and life to Jesus. Would you just raise your hand and would you lock eyes with me right now? Just be real bold. It's just you, me, and God over there to my left. Yes, absolutely. You can do that right here in the middle. Absolutely, yes. I stand with you. And in the back to my right, yes, absolutely. Way to go. And in the back, absolutely, to my left, yes. Way to go. Yes. God, we thank you and praise you alone for the work that you've done in all of our hearts. This work that causes us to just like Jacob say, God, I'm with you no matter what. Through thick, thin, I'm with you and I'm not letting go. And God, I pray for all the moments in the days ahead that are going to test that commitment. That we wouldn't look on that decision lightly. That we would just press in and press through and just like Jacob, persevere with you. And God, I pray that everything, everything in our lives would be founded on and built on you alone. You're the only one who is worthy. You're the only one who will stand the test of everything that life throws at us. We're with you, Jesus.